Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb the sea. Welcome back to another episode of the Art and Science of Running podcast. Today we have a special guest um, in a little bit different circumstance than where we typically find ourselves when we're when we're doing interviews. Uh, like many of our guests, um, our guests today, um, or sorry, like many of our listeners, our guest today, Patsy, um, is dealing with some of the consequences of this coronavirus outbreak. Uh, what's unique about Patsy's situation is that she's actually locked down in a country <laughs> where she's not from, and she what was supposed to be just a quick weekend getaway has become a, what looks like potentially a 15-day lockdown in Peru. Um, so Patsy Ramirez Arroyo is, is from... Puerto Rico, and um, she's uh, an accomplished ultra runner. She's an entrepreneur. She's a mother. She's a wife. Um, she has been through her share of adversity. She's survived cancer. <laughs> she's donated a kidney, um, but she's also gone through uh, the aftermath, or, or she's lived through uh, several hurricanes, and, and particularly the, uh, two hurricanes a few years ago uh, in Puerto Rico. Um, and she was able to use running in part as a means of connecting with family and community. Um, and, uh, now she's in lockdown in, in Peru and, and we'd like to get some insight from, from Patsy, uh, both from her experiences in Puerto Rico and in ultra running, but also with what she's dealing with here and, and how she's using some of those experiences to, to try and help others who are stranded. So uh, welcome to the show, Patsy. Hi, Jacob. How are you? It's good to hear you, a familiar voice. Yeah, likewise. I, um, I'm so sorry that you find yourself where you find yourself. Uh, I am happy to hear that you're you're safe um, and that you're well and you have what you need other than <laughs> your family and friends and, and the ability to, to leave. Um, but could you, could you paint us a picture of, of what you're experiencing right now and how you found yourself where you find yourself. Yeah, I, I was here for a birthday trip with my husband. So because part of my 2020 bucket list was being at Machu Picchu for my birthday. So we were here and Sunday night, actually, we were already sleeping. We were at Sacred Valley in Peru and they knocked at our door and they said that there was a mandate of the president of Peru that we have to leave the country the next day. They were going to close the border. So basically the next morning we start trying by any means to go to Cusco Airport and try to get out of Peru. But at that point, everybody was flooding the airport and the airlines were canceling flights at the same time. So basically, 
a lot of people got stranded in Peru in Lima, trying to get out of, through the Lima airport or the Cusco airport. So we came to the hotel. We had reservations that we could manage and come to the hotel. Actually, we were at a hotel at Sacred Valley, and it was only 27 of us in that. It's a huge hotel, but it got like green areas that I could walk. I'm like, well, if I'm going to be here in a lockdown, at least for a few days, at least, you know, I, at least I got some green areas. But that same day, they switched us to the property in Cusco because they were afraid of people starting to get hungry with the lockdown and there could be some looting. So we, we got changed to the property of the same uh, company in Cusco. Th that is where I am right now. At this property, it was like not even a hundred guests, and it was the majority were Americans. There were eight Mexicans and six Australians and, and two from Canada. So basically, that's all in this hotel. They quarantine the employees too. So basically, we're all in the hotel. They're taking all the measurements to take care of us. The first thing was, you know, it's very scary when they say you're at a lockdown away from home in your vacation. So you have to stay away and pay for 50 more days. So they took care of us, like getting like a special emergency rate for the people who were here already and had to be through the lockdown. And they've been very, very good with all of us. Everybody's respecting like the measurements about social distancing. You know, we talk. It's not like you, we're not going to talk. We have two courtyards inside the hotel. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, everybody's taking care of, you know, as if you're staying in your room and you come down for the for the dining area, they do it like in different groups. Like you ask before going in, there's a lot of people, no, so they could sit people away from each other. So we are very safe inside this hotel. Very, very safe. This is like a bubble being in this hotel. At the beginning, we were allowed to go out at one per household to a small colmado, like small like grocery shop that they got not even a, maybe a mile from here. Okay. And there's a pharmacy and we could go out with our passport and walk there. Like, you know, I need to go to the grocery store to buy snacks or whatever. And this morning I was going because that was like my daily walk to get air. When I was going out, they say that the new mandate they, and they got military outside watching that it, the lockdown is respect. So they say the new mandate is that we can't go out of the property, the hotel. So basically we're locked in this hotel and, you know, if we need something, they're going to take care of us. They say, if you need a medicine, don't worry, we're going to pick it up for you. Or you need a specific thing from the grocery shop, you know, we're going to get it for you. Like, I want Oreo cookies, you know, they will go and get it. But, you know, it wasn't because of getting something. It was just to get fresh air. Um, I was allowed the first day that I was in here, that it was March 17th. That was the lockdown started from the 16th to the 17th at midnight. So March 17, which was my birthday, I was allowed to go out around the block and run. And I only did three miles. It's it's very high for me. So you get altitude sickness in here. It's over 11,000 feet. But I just wanted, you know, go out and do a run, whatever. So next day they say no more runs outside. So I wasn't able to keep running outside. And, you know, with the measurements that they have, for coronavirus, like you're not allowed to go in a gym or anything like that. But it got to a point that they move a treadmill <laughs> to an open area that all the doors open. And basically they have like a person that if 
Like if I run, they will go right away and we clean the machines. Everybody's very careful. They use, you know, the antibacterial, we clean the machines and all that. So at least some of us that we like to, you know, for our sanity, we like to run or do something, we can do that. So I'm okay in here, but I'm concerned about the other people because I'm a, I'm in all these chats that they've created through WhatsApp or Telegram. And it's all the people who stuck from the, you know, all American citizens that were stuck in Peru, in Lima, Cusco, Arequipa, and other areas. And there's a lot of people, Jacob, that they don't have money to be here 15 days. They're students, people who made a sacrifice to come here. They're getting, I saw, I knew of people this morning that I think it was yesterday, they got kicked out of their Airbnb because they don't have money to keep paying. Um, people who need medicines, so they're prescribed medications or they got special conditions that they need to get back home. So it starts to become an escalate, um, how complicated the situation it is. And, you know, I understand that it's, you know, some people say, well, it's not easy to, you know, just come and pick you up. Israel had planes here the next morning, the next day of the lockdown, getting their people out. Mexico in between yesterday and today got older people out, including the Cusco people. So the, the rest, the Cusco, the Mexicans who were at Cusco. So because we had eight guests in the hotel from Mexico and this morning they took them to the Plaza de Armas, which was where the bus was going to pick them up to take them to the airport. So Brazil is coming today. Chile is coming today. Argentina, all those countries sent planes to get their people out because the mandate from the president of Peru is the, the airspace is closed for commercial flights, but if a government makes an, arrange, an arrangement with me to get their people out, like in a charter or a humanitarian flight, we can make the arrangement to, the, to let those people leave. So we, we are here, we can get commercial flights, but if the U.S. government makes the arrangement to get us out of here, we can leave. The thing is, we have no means to get out of here. So basically, that's why, you know, the hashtag stuck in Peru, it's going around because we're trying every single way. We went to the embassy at the beginning. I know the people were going into the embassy in Lima and the doors were closed, the U.S. embassy. They wouldn't answer the phones. So basically, we had no help from the U.S. embassy at the beginning. It took a lot of people in those chats. We make an arrangement. Everybody's going to get in contact with their congressman and their senator. So basically, we were covering every single state, plus Puerto Rico and D.C., everywhere. We were covering and making, you know, putting pressure into, you got to listen to us. We can't get out of here. If this is a government, in between government's arrangement. It's not a commercial flight arrangement. So... We had to put a lot of pressure. Everybody used their uh, news, uh, like, you know, national news, local news from each state. Like yesterday, my husband was in an interview with a station in Puerto Rico. We have the other Puerto Ricans doing other interviews in Puerto Rico. So basically, we're using every single news outlet that we can to make noise that we can stay here. And because there are people that need to get out, there's students in here that they were doing some missions and doing some special spring break projects away from the universities. So it's a different mix of people and not everybody was just in a vacation and they need to get back home. So that's something that, you know, we've been trying to make noise every single, you know, outlet that we have that please, you know, we need help to get out of here. This is not a commercial flight thing. There are no commercial flights. Actually, even the local lines like LATAM, 
Copa, the lines that works in this area, Avianca, they announced that they're going to stop flying for a few weeks because since there's border closing all over South America, they're not going to fly. So we cannot even use those flights to get out of here. So it's like a complicated situation. If the government, the U.S. government doesn't get involved, it's a complicated situation. Yeah. So so in terms of numbers, um, how many how many U.S. citizens or residents are in Cusco versus well, the rest of the uh, I checked the, them. I checked the list because we have a Google document that we create to send to the State Department. And before I call you, we were in 1800. So out of the 1,800, it's like 800 in Cusco, like 900 were in, in Lima and close to 900 in Lima. And the others were in smaller areas like Arequipa. And there's another area that I know some people is like Secret Valley or some other area. So, yeah, it's a big group of people, um, you know, close to 2,000 U.S. American citizens in here. So, yeah, it's it's complicated. They, I know that some people, because they just look at the news, but they don't really, like I say, the silver lining and in between the lines. Like yesterday, President Trump was in the news and they say that they were aware of 300. We're not 300. We're almost 2,000 in here. And then they say, we're going to take care of it by military planes. And then we got communications today from people that they got communication with spokesperson from the Defense Department. And they say, we have no instructions of setting military planes to pick up people in Peru. So it's one thing what they say in a press conference, but the reality is, no, there's no arrangements of military planes to get us out of here. So, you know, and for example, they were saying, we're going to get some commercial charters. That's the story today. And they say, but the people in Cusco, you have to find a commercial flight in between Cusco and Lima. There are no commercial flights. We can move. If you're going to send a plane, if you're going to make the arrangement, the U.S. government, you have to do like Mexico, for example. Mexico sent planes to Lima and to Cusco because the majority of the Mexicans were in Cusco. This is where basically people come because Machu Picchu, you have to come to Cusco. So basically Lima is a, maybe I stay one or two days to see Lima, but you come right away to Cusco. So it's like they don't get it. It's not like we can move inside. It takes 20 hours by car to go from uh, Cusco to Lima. And there's a, we can move after eight o'clock. Cars can move and it's only authorized cars that can move. So you cannot drive to Lima. Yeah. It has to be that the coordination includes that the people from Cusco can move to Lima. Yeah. So um, because we have an international audience and not everyone uh, is American, and uh, I'm not even sure that as a, as a former uh, U.S. and world history and geography teacher, I'm not sure that everyone understands Puerto Rico's relationship with the United States. Um, and I'm certain, as someone now not living in the United States, um, that not everyone outside of the <laughs> U.S. understands that relationship. Can you explain how what that what that is? What, yeah. what what Puerto Rico is to the United States, and why why you're concerned that the U.S. isn't acting to intervene and, and help you get back home. Yeah, Puerto Rico, it's a commonwealth. We're a colony of the United States. So basically every people who's born in Puerto Rico 
it's born as a U.S. citizen. We are born U.S. citizens. We got passport. In Puerto Rico, we have the same postal service. It's dollars. It's everything. It's like you're in the States. But the only thing is we are not a state. We're not 51 state. So as of today, you never know. So, um, but yeah, we're part of the United States. We, uh, that's our, we, you know, we have a local government, but we have federal government. So we have a representative in the federal government, even though we don't vote for the president. So yeah, it's a relationship that we are part of the United States. And in this situation, that's, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm flying with a U.S. passport. There's no Puerto Rican passport. I'm a U.S. citizen. So basically, when there, all this is happening, we are part of the 50 states. When they include everybody who's, you know, all the Americans that were out, um, that's why I'm one of the Americans that it's out of, you know, in Peru. Yeah. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Um, I've had that issue. Um, <laughs> or uh, There have been people... Um, confused by that relationship um, when I've actually purchased uh, international phone plans and things. In fact, one of the first phone plans that I had when I lived here in Canada, you and I had been working together prior to that. And, and so it wasn't an issue um, when I was um, when I was living in the U.S. But uh, then when I purchased a what was supposed to be in all of North America, um, plan it didn't um, it didn't include Puerto Rico and so I <laughs> I had to explain to the people on the from the phone company that actually Puerto Rico is part of the United States and part yeah. of North America and uh, and that it should be included in that phone plan um, but I've actually had to explain that to even just other both Americans and non-Americans. Oh yeah, that's happened. Like, believe me, I, I work, I work with, I represent companies from the U.S. and I work with Central and South America, and that happens still today in U.S. They say like, oh, in Puerto Rico, what currency they use or what do they use or it's an international phone call. I'm like, we're not an international phone call, we're a domestic phone call, and we use the same currency. You have to go through the whole explanation. It's not, you know, still today it happens. So yeah, yeah. Well. It, and this isn't the first time that um, even our president, uh, I don't know that we want to claim him as ours, but the current president of the United States, um, this isn't the first time that he's ignored at least the fact that you are there. Uh, I, I'm sorry, not with you, but, but, the, but that, a Puerto Rican, uh, that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. Um, and you've experienced that under this presidency before. Um, you've, you've lived through you've lived through hurricanes in, in Puerto Rico and, um, and essentially been ignored or you've had the numbers um, deflated or the severity of the situation deflated um, both out of ignorance and out of uh, political, um, <laughs> I don't know, perception. Yeah. To, uh, portray. Um, so this might not be new for you, but um, you know, how, are there many Puerto Ricans there or are the majority of the people from the contiguous United States uh, that are, that are American um, that are dealing with this situation? Well, we are out of the 1800 that we're in here. We are around 15 Puerto Ricans. I think we are like um, 10 in Cusco and five in Lima. And we got connected. We start, I started a chat with the ones that I, you know, so at this point I got them all in a chat and, you know, it's, People react different ways to these type of situations. And 
I remember we've talked when, when the hurricane, we, we talk about it. People react different ways. And I'm in all these chats with all these people from, you know, all over Peru, but from the United States, you start seeing the desperation. For example, even in our chat from Puerto Rico, it's very different the way that everybody's approaching the situation. I was talking to a guy that actually they just call me a person from Puerto Rico. There's this guy stuck in Peru. I told him about you and I call him and he was like desperate, desperate. And I talked to him, I add him to the chat and I had to say, I had, I had to tell him, you know what? You have, first of all, you have to breathe and you have to calm down. There's nothing you're going to get solved with this hysteria. You're not going to get, you know, any quicker out because you're hysterical. So we are working, believe me, you're getting in the chat today. We've been since the 17th working and pushing senators, you know, congressmen, news, everything, embassies, State Department. So we, everybody's pushing. It's not like we haven't done anything. And the guy was hysterical. And I felt bad because not everybody has the same approach to, uh, you know, to a situation like this. So I see that desperation, like in, like I told you in the other chats, people like, I have money. Like I, I was talking to these girls that they were doing the Inca Trail and they find out Monday in the Inca Trail that that day they were closing the airport because there's no communication when you're doing the Inca Trail. Yeah. So one is a nurse, the other, they're both from California and they were talking to me and they say, we are saving ourselves because this is very, you know, very difficult for us sustaining ourselves here for 15 days. So for example, we only eat twice a day. We can't afford to eat three times a day. So you start hearing all these things and, you know, you have to use your, like I told my husband, I'm like, I have to use my energy. I'm not going to get desperate. I'm honestly, Jacob, I'm relaxed. My kids are okay in the States. They're both graduated. You know, they're both doctors working, but I'm like, I have to use my energy to help others at this point, like use the proper information. And the only way I could, you know, help right now it's number one, keep knocking on doors and making noise so we can help. Number two, the people who's desperate, trying to help them to, you know, use their energy in a better way. We're not going to get any faster here. Like one of the guys, he was like, I'm going to go to the embassy now and knock at the door. And I'm like, you're going to get arrested. There's military out there. Yeah. You can't go there because you're desperate. So, yeah, you know, the, US are the armed guards, um, quite like exist in Peru and, and in other parts of, of the world um, that, that don't really care. In fact, might be even more annoyed by the fact that there's an American trying to push their weight around. Um, sure, so. sure. And I have to tell you something, Jacob. I am very impressed. You know, I know that I got stuck in the bad side of the situation, but if I look at how coronavirus it's been handling in different countries and in the states i have to tell you that it's 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 been handled here better than in a, a lot of the states of the united states wow. i'm impressed you know they lock monday they announced the lock on monday they they were very strict military you know you can't walk for groceries you can't walk to the pharmacy in our case they 
they became stricter today. And I understand when they told me in the door of the hotel, they have, we have a new mandate, no walking. I'm like, you know what? If that's the new rule, I abide by the rules. I'm in. I'm not going out. You know, I'm not going to cry in the door of the hotel or anything. Those are the rules. And they're trying to contain this disease. They're doing every day. They have a news conference. They give all the information, how they're handling. They're keeping everybody in one hospital. So they're being very transparent about the information. And it wasn't like that in the States when it started coronavirus. It was a disaster. Even in Miami, there was spring breakers this week in, in, in the beach. Yeah. So it's in, when I see how it's handling in here, I'm like, I have to say this is safer at this point than a lot of the places in the United States, how they're doing, you know, how they're doing the handling the situation. So, you know, people get desperate and criticize, oh, Peru got us hostage. No, we're not hostage. We got caught up in a situation and we need help from our government and we're not getting the help because the other countries help their people in here. So we are not hostages in here. We are, you know, stuck in a situation. So that's why we need help from the U.S. government. Like, you know, it's only about you. We, we There's not nothing that we can do in here on our own at this point. Well, I, I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate you sharing this experience um, because I, uh, I get the sense that uh, what you're experiencing there in Peru, other than not being able to leave, um, is going to become more of the norm, at least in some of the states. Uh, the governor of California just announced that there will be uh, more regulated uh, shelter-in-place uh, lockdown type situation, even though they they already were encouraging people to stay home from work and you know staying inside, uh, other than to go out and exercise or or go to the store and things like that. Uh, people weren't respecting that, and um, so it sounds like that's that's going to be more strictly regulated. Um, I know in my case, uh, I was in the U.S. when uh, the the Canadian government actually said, if you are a Canadian resident, uh, you need to get home a- immediately because there are there are decisions being made that are kind of beyond our control by other governments. And w- whether it's on this side of the border or the other side of the border, once word gets out, they assumed commercial flights would be canceled and um and once those commercial means are not available they they kind of tried to warn the the citizens and the residents like once it's out of our control it's out of our control like we'll do everything we can through commercial means to get you home but um i mean canada doesn't have the military (laughs) personnel or fleet uh to to go and pick up everyone that's overseas right now. And so, I mean, there was a mass exodus out of, out of Florida and out of Arizona and probably out of uh, Cancun, Mexico, uh, headed north to get um, to the border before it closed. I oh, had to wow. cancel. Um, I, I was down there visiting family um, and everyone was on spring break and there didn't seem to be too much concern <laughs> when I was down um, in Arizona. Um, but I, I had to, cut that trip four days short and barely got on like one of the last flights that I could get on. And, and actually the, the night before I, I was supposed to arrive, the borders were announced closed to everyone, including, um, us 
uh, residents. Um, it, for, for a while there, it was kind of like there was going to be, we could go back and forth. Um, but then had I, had I just said, no, I'm sticking to the plan. I have a, I have a return flight. They can't close it that soon. I would have been, I would have been stuck in my own country, but I would have been away from at least some of my family. Um, sure. And, sure. And at least my youngest children and ability to work and things like that. So uh, that was a really tough call to make. Cause it was like, it's not like I want to leave my, <laughs> the other family that I have in the U S I, I mean, they're still my family too. And, um, there's, there's a wall now basically, um, that can't be, uh, penetrated, um, for the time being. But I, like you, I, I'm trying to be respectful of the, the rules because I know that it's not just for my good, but it's for the good of, of all. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a hard place to find yourself when it's, when we're so used to being able, able to move freely and, um, you know, I, I had to, I, I didn't get any money back for the, for the four days of reservations that I had already had or, or to have to change my flight. I tried to get on a call and see if I could move flights around, but I think the the closest um, callback time was like 80 hours later. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It was just like, okay, I have to get online and find some flight out of here um, because everyone's dealing with this. So um, sure. it's a, it's a tough situation that, that we find ourselves in, but I, I really appreciate your perspective and your positivity, um, seeing the good and controlling what you can, tr- can control and, and identifying steps that can be taken um, to help yourself, but also to, to help others. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm wondering how your, your experience living through hurricanes and, and living through lack of federal government intervention during those times, how do you feel like that has prepared you for, for this situation now? Um, when, when we talk after Hurricane Maria, it was like, even if I was in Puerto Rico right now, and I was in a, Puerto Rico's in a lockdown too, like in here, it got curfew and everything. Actually, Puerto Rico was the first one before the, any states in the United States that set up like curfews and lockdown and not, not travel, but like work and everything. So even if I was at home, it was a different scenario than when the hurricane, because at the time of the hurricane, there was like no power, no water. It was restricted. Um, Cellular communications were so poor because we lost all the cellular towers. So it was, we didn't have food in sense of it was very limited, the food that it was reaching, the, the truckloads that they were reaching to Puerto Rico. And we had the situation on top that we didn't get the federal aid right away. And, you know, it's famous, the picture of Trump throwing paper towel to people in when he went just to a stop in Puerto Rico, that it wasn't not even an aid needed area there where he got the picture. So, you know, We've been in that situation before. I know even if I was in Puerto Rico, it's a little different right now because you're locked at home, but you got your, you know, power and water and all that. And so it's more a situation of how to use my time while I'm at home. Yeah, I can work. I could use it for learn for different things. I think that it's a different situation. It's a different situation. I'm concerned about the aftermath of this coronavirus as in economy and in Puerto Rico and in other places, because there's going to be, they say that it's going to be more hurtful, not for the amount of people that die, but for the amount of people that it's going to be like bankrupt. 
and you got, they're going to lose businesses, jobs. There's people already losing jobs. I know in the States and in Puerto Rico, because it's going to get really difficult. That part, it's the one that got me worried, you know, the aftermath, because in these days, everybody's in a lockdown. You're trying to do the best out of it. I see my friends in Puerto Rico, you know, they send me like every day, send me an update, but they tell me they're doing exercise from home or they're reading, they're, oh, I'm watching this Netflix. So they're trying to keep their minds busy because some of us can work, others can't because even if you got a computer, that doesn't mean that you can do your job away from home, from your office. But um, I'm more concerned about what's going to come after. For example, my daughter, she's a doctor in mental health and she specializes in addiction. She's in Betty Ford Clinic. And one of the things that I was t- talking to her because she's working, in, uh, she has to work. And one of the things I was telling to her when she was going to work this morning, I'm like, you are an essential I know that you think only food is essential in this situation or, you know, somebody in an emergency in a hospital, but mental health, it's going to be huge after coronavirus and after the aftermath of coronavirus, the economic impact, people losing jobs, what I'm going to do. So you are an essential in your job right now. So I think it's going to get worse in that situation. Um, It could get more complicated. Then, you know, even if we contain the disease, there's going to be that area that it's going to be the post coronavirus. Yeah, like you said, it it certainly has already impacted people. Um, And even those of us who can work remotely, if if our if our clientele rely on disposable income to to pay for our services, and if they are either out of work or um, not working as much and, and not making as much, or if they've lost uh, savings or retirement through the um, the crashing of the stock market or whatever you want to say is happening right now. Um, I mean, a lot, it, all of us are going to be impacted in one way or another. And um, Oh, sure. So- I'm in the food industry. Um, I'm in the food industry and basically a lot of my lines are in there natural and organic, um, plant-based, you know, there are a lot of the, the food that you will see, like if you go in whole foods. So when you got your income becomes restricted, you're going to think, you know, I cannot buy organic oatmeal. I'm going to have to buy the regular one, cheap one, or I cannot buy this bread that it's the one that I like, you know, the Ezekiel bread. I'm going to have to buy the regular cheap bread. So it becomes, and I understand, you know, when you get restricted income, you have to make that type of choice, even if it's not your, you know, what you will like, but it affects even food industry, you know, what's available out there, what, what I'm able to buy at this point after the coronavirus, after the, you know, the economy goes down, what's, you know, all, every single area is going to get impacted after coronavirus. It's already getting impacted. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so what role does, does running play in all of this? I mean, you said that you've been able to get out a little bit in the courtyard or on the treadmill. Um, yeah. are, you still, are you still training? I mean, I know uh, you have some races on the calendar for later in the year. You were just accepted to Spartathlon. Um, yeah. what, what, are you, what are you doing mentally and physically to stay healthy? 
Well, you know, when the, when Hurricane Maria, that was like my therapy, just running around <laughs> to see people because we couldn't, you know, be driving around. So when this happened, you know, I was able to run like in Lima, a little bit in, in Cusco, in, in Sacred Valley, because we were so busy with the agenda of the tours and going here, there. So when we got here the morning of the, the 16th, when we got here, I, you know, it was everything so crazy when they switched us from the other hotel for security to this one in Cusco. And um, I look around and I say, this is like, it, it's a building. It's not a tall building. It's like an antique palace. It's called Palacio del Inca. It's in a historic area of Cusco. So I look around and I'm like, I don't see where I'm going to be able to run. So I say the manager, the manager was at the lobby and I say, I understand everything. I understand security. And I say, can I run outside? And he, he looked at me like, and I say, I'm training for, <laughs> for an ultra and I need to run. And then my husband looked at him and he's like, she really needs to run. <laughs> <laughs> she, she really needs to run. So your husband understands you. Yeah. So the thing is, he said, well, let's see tomorrow. You're going to go around the block. And the, around the block was 0.44, you know, by my Garmin. So uh, the next morning, that's at 17, I go around and I did three miles because, you know, it's altitude sickness. And I'm like, well, at least half an hour would be great if I get to do it at this, you know, elevation. I'm not used to it. I live as I live at sea level. But the next morning they say no outside. But you know, they were so nice, so nice. They move a treadmill. So I try every day to do half an hour because it's it, you know, catch catch your air running at this elevation. Yeah. At yeah. least for me. So at least I'm like, I'm going to do half an hour every day. It keeps me sane. Like this morning, instead of running, I was doing uphill. I was like walking really fast uphill. Like I was walking in a mountain. But it helps me keep, you know, I listen to a book. I love doing Audible when I'm running. So I listen to my book. It gives me some, you know, space to you know, keep my mind like focused and sane because you have to stay sane in this type of situation. So yeah, I'm, I told my husband, as long as I'm here every day, I'm going to go in that treadmill and I'm going to do some exercise because it, it helps me. And I was joking, by the time I get back to sea level, I'm going to be like rocking. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. My my race, that it was the one, I just got a notification yesterday, the race that it was at the end of April, the 100K, the Jack Bristol, got yeah. canceled. Okay. They were holding till the end to cancel. And I even asked the director, are you sure you're going to be able to do this race? And he wrote yesterday and sent official email that it's canceled, the event. So, yeah, that, that moves like what was going to be my next event. So I think at this point, because I even saw that they canceled Keys 100, that it's in May in Florida. I think at this point, um, making commitment for these few couple months for a race is going to be difficult because we don't even know what's going to happen with coronavirus. But for me running, even if I don't have a race, and you know how through cancer, even though I couldn't commit to a race because I had the three surgeries, I use running always as a therapy. So even if at this point I can say, oh, I'm, next month I got an event, I'm going to keep running. And even if I'm locked in this hotel, I'm going to be running every day. You know, it, it helps me to stay, you know, focused and happy when I'm there. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I, I really appreciate your positivity. Uh, it's, it's, a it's refreshing to work with you. Um, and, um, it's contagious. <laughs> the, yeah. the positivity is contagious. Um, it's, it is challenging. Um, I, I, I think that I might have one or two athletes that I am working with who haven't had an event canceled yet, <laughs> uh, in part because of where they live. And so they weren't planning on anything in the next couple of months. Um, I've had at least two events canceled or one canceled and one tentatively canceled. And then, um, the events that I, that I was training for, including the Boston marathon, um, and the, the 50 K national championships that I was gunning for, um, and then there are several events that uh, either I direct, including the retreat, which we've <laughs> promoted on this show, um, that are that are right on that cusp of we don't know. Um, because, you know, each week, each day we get a different update as far as like, hey, these are the restrictions. This is the number of people that you can have in one place. Or we're going to be doing this until the end of March or the middle of April or the end of May, whenever that might be. And so um, in Canada, they just closed all of the national parks for at least uh, the next two months and things like that. So, so that Im- impacts some of the events that we put on, or it could potentially impact events that we put if that restriction continues. And so, sure, uh, sure. But I, it's, I, uh, I, it's I kind of, that, oh, I'm sorry. I always say that even if you're, you know, with this event cancellation, you know, difficult times like this and everybody, you know, it's going through a lockdown, maybe some of more strict like Puerto Rico or California or, you know, no, like in Florida that it's like no lockdown at this point. But I think everybody should use their time positively. You know, if you got access to a treadmill, use the treadmill. If you got access to go around even your small block in your house, you know, I've been, you know, in my training, I I live in a very small subdivision and I've done like loops and loops and loops in a tiny, in a tiny um, block in my house. So even doing that keeps you focused and with a goal, you have to plan. Like even when we got to this hotel, I decide I'm going to have a plan even to live in this room. I set up an area that it's my working area. I set up my area that it's for Netflix. And I set up little areas because you have to have a plan every day when you wake up. And I, I'm telling this to everybody who's going through coronavirus lockdown right now. Just make a plan every day. Don't get desperate. Use your time positive, you know, in a positive way. Uh, learning, reading, um, helping others, be a support to others. I know we're gonna have social distance, but be supportive to others. Not everybody handles situations the same way. So if you're a person that you know you're better at it, help others to go through the situation. I, was, I think those are the things that are important at this time of you know coronavirus or any situation like this. Yeah, no, there's certainly. Uh rules to live by. Um, and, and, um, one thing that I've noticed about you, is it not only helps you in your personal life, it, it does help you in your running. Um, you know, for those of you who haven't heard Patsy's story after having races canceled or not, not the races canceled, but <laughs> not being able to get off the Island to get to your goal races. Um, and basically spending a month 
where your training was just running around the island helping family members and friends and checking in on them because the the phones and um, internet were down um, and bringing people food and medicine and things um, you know that's ended up running you, you, you ran the fastest hundred miler of your life after, yeah. after going through probably one of the most chaotic and stressful periods of your life um, yeah. and yet as you were so focused on you, you made sure that you took care of yourself um, but you were also you weren't so focused on yourself and so worried about yourself. You, you, you focused on others. And, um, and I've, I've seen that with you time and time again, and I've seen that with other people time and time again. Um, it's one of the reasons I love coaching selfishly, <laughs> I guess, yeah. is, that, is that when I'm able to um, put at least some of my love for running into helping other people love running and, and find, it fulfilling and, and meaningful in their lives. Um, it, it actually helps me get distracted from when my running isn't going perfectly or when I have a little niggle or, or an injury or whatever, rather than getting down and bummed because my life isn't perfect or because my body isn't working. <laughs> uh, sure. I wish it were, um, I, I can celebrate the successes of others and, and, or I can help them get through some of the challenges that they're going through that maybe I've experienced before. And, um, Oh, sure. Sure. So sure. I, I imagine that those who are stuck in Peru with you feel very fortunate, um, to have oh, been included you. In, in your group. Um, you, you really do have, um, just a wealth of knowledge and experience and, and wisdom and, um, and so I, I, I know that it, it I get claustrophobic. <laughs> and so I, and I, think, I think most runners, most ultra runners, oh, yes. feel really well, uh, feeling contained, um, in any one place. Um, but I, um, I imagine that those who are overwhelmed and anxious and scared, um, at least, at least briefly when they um, get to interact with you and see your confidence and, and the way in which you're, uh, carrying yourself and conducting yourself, it, it likely gives them confidence and, and hope, um, and healing through this really difficult time. So thank you for being that light, um, to so thank many you. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'll try to stay positive the whole way. Hopefully we get help because that's the only way we could solve this situation right now. Um, not because we haven't tried, but at this point it's a government thing. It gotta be, you know, that they come through for us at this point. So hopefully, you know, we get listened, all the Americans that were here in Peru, we get listened and they understand there's some, you know, emergency situation. Not everybody has the means to stay 15 days or more, because that doesn't mean that because the 15 days, March 31st, there's going to be flights on April 1st because commercial airlines are grounded. So it could be instead of 15, it could be 21 days in here. So they got to understand that. And, you know, I know they said, like, the president said, like, we didn't get in time to, to our flights. You know, everybody was at Cusco Airport. There were no flights in Cusco Airport. And it happens the same in Lima. So, you know, everybody tried to get out of here when we find out. But we got not even a day to react. Everybody find out even during while they were sleeping or the next morning and it was effective that night. So we all try really hard to get out of here and we've tried everything we can. But we have at this point, the Peru president say it's between government. So it has to be our government that give us the hand at this point. 
So we hopefully get here, you know, and we get the help. Yeah, I I sure hope so. I, I hope that by sharing your story, uh, more people will hear, more people will uh, learn from your experience, and, and hopefully um, people in power will begin to listen. I recognize that um, there are so many needs around the world, and, and it is hard to identify and prioritize those needs. But I, I think you make some really good points um, that there are people there that just can't afford to be there and, and to be evicted from the places that they're staying, you know, an Airbnb or, or not even being able to pay for the food that they have there. Um, or like you've, you've mentioned before, some people have younger children at home or uh, some people need medications that they can't get there, things like that. Uh, there, Those are things that I, I don't think everyone takes into account um, when they go, go it's too bad you're off on this enchanted <laughs> vacation. Sure. Kuto, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, your bucket list just gets to go on for three more weeks or whatever. But um, I, I appreciate you, um, you being a voice of hope and a voice of reason and, and also using your platform and your influence to, to try and help those who, who are in need and, and hopefully it will help you as well. So thank thank you. you. Thank you very much, Jacob. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to take the message to through your, through your podcast. Thank you. For sure. All right. Well, we will, um, hopefully we'll be able to catch up and you'll be home safe, uh, with your family soon. And, um, and that those who are with you will, will also continue to be safe and healthy and, um, and we'll get through this. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thanks again for listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you found this episode interesting, entertaining, inspiring, or informative, please share it with your friends on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and tag the Art and Science of Running so that we can reshare it. Better yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. This will help others with similar interests find this free resource that we've created for listeners around the world. Many thanks in advance. I'm atop the highest mountain See the people down below Bend and drink from crystal fountains That slowly flow from melting snow I'm going for a walk.